Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. No matter what field you're in, you have probably heard of the term mindfulness. It's a topic that has come up more and more recently in a variety of domains and certainly in psychotherapy. As a young therapist, it wasn't a big topic that my peers were discussing a whole lot. And in fact, it really first crossed my radar when one of my graduate students, when I was a professor, she was working on her master's thesis and she wanted to conduct a study on mindfulness and psychotherapy. And I said to her, I know what it means to be mindful and thoughtful, but what is mindfulness really? I didn't know. So I figured we better have a common understanding of what mindfulness is today as we talk about mindful dating. Just to get us all on the same page, I'll share a definition of mindfulness and some research on mindfulness from the Greater Good Science Center, which is out of UC Berkeley. According to their definition, mindfulness means maintaining a moment-by-moment awareness of our thoughts, feelings, bodily sensations, and surrounding environment through a gentle, nurturing lens. Mindfulness also involves acceptance, meaning that we pay attention to our thoughts and feelings without judging them, without believing, for instance, that there's a right or wrong way to think or feel in a given moment. When we practice mindfulness, our thoughts tune into what we're sensing in the present moment rather than rehashing the past or imagining the future. So for any of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll definitely hear in that definition of mindfulness themes that are very consistent with ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, which I talk about quite often. It's a third generation cognitive therapy. And those of you who've been listening for a while know I love my cognitive therapies. I actually had the honor of interviewing Dr. Stephen C. Hayes, who's the creator of ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, in episode 65 of the podcast. He spoke about his recent book, A Liberated Mind. And I've also talked with psychotherapist Kate Lambie about ACT. It's one of her preferred modalities when she's working with her clients in an episode called Take Charge of Your Negative Thoughts, Part 1, Techniques from ACT. And that's episode 77. Acceptance and commitment therapy and mindfulness definitely share similar themes. So if you resonate with today's conversation, I invite you to check out those episodes as well. So we have a sense of what mindfulness is, and it's being very intentionally present, very intentionally aware of our sensations, of our thoughts, of our feelings in the given moment. And obviously, we want to be mindful and practice mindfulness because it's going to have benefits for us. So let's look at some of the research on mindfulness. And again, this comes from UC Berkeley's Greater Good Center. They have a long list of all the ways that mindfulness benefits us. And I'm quoting from the website here. Studies have shown that practicing mindfulness, even for just a few weeks, can bring a variety of physical, psychological, and social benefits. 
like I said, the list is quite long, so I'll just share some highlights here and I'll provide a link to the website in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Let's start with the physical benefits. Practicing mindfulness improves our immune system and reduces our stress levels. It also increases the density of our brain's gray matter. It also can help us feel less depressed and keep us from relapsing if depression is something that we've struggled with chronically. This study was particularly interesting because it compared mindfulness with antidepressants and found that mindfulness was just as effective. And sidebar, this study is one of many that finds that cognitive interventions are as effective and oftentimes more effective and certainly the preferred choice for those of us who'd like to stay away from medications based on our personal preference or the side effects or the fact that we may be quite skeptical of big pharma in general. And for anyone who's curious as to why we might want to be skeptical of pharmaceutical corporations, I invite you to check out episodes 22, 95, 122, 167, and 173. Back to the research, and I'll quote again. Mindfulness enhances relationships. Research suggests mindfulness training makes couples more satisfied with their relationship, makes each partner feel more optimistic and relaxed, and makes them feel more accepting of and closer to one another. Mindful couples may also recover more quickly from conflict. And one more topic I want to highlight because it really speaks to some of the themes that we talk about so often on Love and Life. I'll quote again, mindfulness affects the way we see ourselves. More mindful people have a stronger sense of self and seem to act more in line with their values. They may also have a healthier body image, more secure self-esteem, and more resilience to negative feedback. As I noted, the studies I mentioned here are just a few of the many provided by the Greater Good Center. And the findings here are enough to pique my interest into mindfulness in general, and certainly into mindfulness as it relates to dating, which is exactly what we're talking about with today's guest, Dr. Marie Thuin. Here's a little bit more about Dr. Thuin. Marie Thuin, PhD, is the founder of Love Insight, a mindful dating and relationship coaching practice where she supports people of all backgrounds in creating intentional and vibrant love lives. Her holistic toolbox integrates deep emotional inquiry with practical advice to navigate the journey of intimate connection. My interview with Dr. Thuin right after this. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. Dr. Tuin, welcome to the program. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. So let's talk about mindful dating. Share with us how you got into this space and, and what mindful dating is all about. 
So I got into this space both from my personal experience and my professional training. So my personal experience being someone um, like me who's been on a lot of dates and has learned so much about what it means to be in short-term, long-term uh, relationships or even flings and just like what, what kind of meaning do we make out of dating? And from the professional perspective, I did my doctorate in East-West psychology, which um, I focused on intimate relationships because I always found them to be one of the most fascinating aspects of human experience and one of the least understood as well. And I think, I think that mindfulness is such a great framework to use when we're dating because while mindfulness is about being present to ourselves and really present in our body and present with our, with our experience rather than being um, focused on the outcome. And of course, there will be pain. Everyone goes through so much emotion when they're dating and to frame it as an experience that allows us to develop more self-awareness can just be so enriching. So you mentioned being focused on the process, not the outcome. And I can imagine a listener saying, but the whole point of dating is for that outcome, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm looking to <laughs> meet my person. So what are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's a bit ironic because Oftentimes, when we do focus exclusively on the outcome, then we might not be developing the skills and the qualities that actually help us get to that outcome. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit of a catch-22, because when you think about someone who is just really having fun dating and having a good time and being present with themselves, with their dates they are going to be someone who's automatically more attractive than mm -hmm. someone who's really attached to the outcome and uses each date as a, simply a screening tool and you know a way to kind of put someone through an interview and doesn't enjoy the process and is only focused on the outcome. So mm -hmm. I think that it sort of goes hand in hand, like to be focused on the process just brings us closer to the relationship that we want to have because it brings us closer to ourselves and more present to another person. Yeah. And I think that's such wise, it's, it's such a wise approach and it's such a wise way to embark upon dating. <laughs> I know from my personal experience, like you, I went on a lot of dates. <laughs> I didn't get mm. married until I was 42. So I spent my time in the trenches. And at one point I realized that that outcome focus wasn't serving me. And it was causing me to put so much weight and so much stock, like you said, making every date almost like an interview. And that didn't feel fun. And it was taking the energy and really making it so arduous. So I kind of did a reframe myself, just thinking the point of tonight is to go out and meet a person and enjoy myself. I'm living in Chicago. I'm going to go to this lovely restaurant and meet someone who who knows? It could be someone I won't click with, but perhaps it's someone who, even if I don't click with them, it's someone who's interesting and has lived some life and I can learn from them. I tried really hard to bring that energy to the experience because as you're speaking to, if I didn't, it, man, it was just, it was drudgery. Right, right. 
to have that kind of energy, yeah, it brings out the best in us and it brings out the best in the person we're talking with too. When we are in interview mode, oftentimes we just bring out the worst in somebody else because they can feel our expectation and we can um, really affect the outcome of a date as well. For sure. And I know that you you mentioned the idea of dating and connecting and even in these these dates that maybe aren't going to go anywhere, but you can use these experiences as a way to see yourself more clearly, be more in touch with yourself. So speak a little bit more to that, if you would, please. So yeah, I think that dating can bring us so much closer to ourselves because it will bring up so many emotions that we don't always have to face and feel in our everyday life. So for example, rejection, when we do like someone and they don't like us back, how do we become more resilient? How do we keep having an open heart in face of those emotions? Same thing when, when we have a big crush on someone or even when we get frustrated with people, when we feel like people are just not what we want them to be. All of those really deep human emotions that we feel, how can we turn a very curious and compassionate eye towards them? and therefore towards ourselves. I think that that's what mindful dating is all about, is to be curious, to be compassionate towards ourselves and towards our emotions and not judge them and not try to change them, but to develop a healthier relationship with them. That part about how to have an open heart when so many women in my community have been on the scene for a long time and they have experienced rejection or ghosting. I mean, it seems even more brutal in today's very disposable sense of dating where you can just swipe away somebody else. And so people tend to, I think the experience has been that people feel commodified. They feel that they don't feel that they are valued. Even like we were saying a moment ago, trying to be more present and honoring of just this evening, even if that's all it's going to be, just one evening of two people getting to know each other. Maybe it's not a fit, like we said, but still just honoring this experience and being mindful, being present. The women sometimes feel that that hasn't been reciprocated. So they feel very hurt. So I think the challenge is how to remain open and hopeful and have a positive energy that you're bringing to dating when it has been so demoralizing. What do you think about that? Or what are some of your suggestions with the clients you work with? Right. Yeah, that is a beautiful challenge to tackle because when we do take on this challenge, we become so much stronger and we also acquire some of the skills we need to have really great relationships. So I think dating is just a beautiful practice towards the relationships that we want to have. So in order to have more emotional resilience to those experiences of pain and ghosting and rejection, I think that first we need to really be involved in physical self-care, to mm. be really gentle and loving with our own bodies and to keep reinforcing the message to ourselves that we are worthy, that we do matter, that we're worthy of love and care, mm -hmm. and that in itself will reinforce our resilience at the nervous system level and also our ability to 
walk out there with our heart open over and over again. Another thing that's really important to me, and I work with clients with that all the time, is having a great social network, cultivating friendships and a love-filled life through our family relationships, our colleagues, our friends, and to just really develop loving relationships wherever we can. And number three would be to have a sense of purpose and to have direction, to have fulfilling work and activities and projects and to have this sense of worth outside of relationship and dating so that when we do face disappointment, we we don't lose everything that's meaningful to us. I agree. Those are such helpful strategies. When people ask me something along the lines of, well, how do I not lose myself in relationships? Or I have a lot of women in, in my community who believe that they have an anxious attachment style. And I always wonder, I don't find labels all that useful. Typically, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a psychologist who doesn't love to diagnose. I'm a little bit of an mm -hmm. anomaly in this space, but mm -hmm. in my profession. But I always wonder is the anxious attachment more because you're looking to fill that void as you spoke to, because you don't have that strong social network of support. You haven't built into other relationships on a deep level. So you're putting so many eggs in this basket, so to speak. And you're not going to lose yourself early on in a relationship. And you're not going to feel that utter anxiety in the first couple of months of, well, what if this doesn't work out? I, I'm really catching feels, as they say, right? Mm -hmm. But you're not going to do that to the same degree if you have a full life and mm -hmm. know your worth because you're contributing and you're making a meaningful life for yourself in these other realms. You can certainly desire partnership and have an intention to make that a, a goal and a priority in your life to carve out time and set aside energy for the pursuit of love. But we don't abandon everything else we've got going on. As women, that's a very disempowered way to step into dating. That's right. And, you know, it's interesting to get into gender differences, um, even though I don't want to generalize too much. But oftentimes, I also find that women have been conditioned more harshly to think of their own value just really revolving around partnership yeah. or not. You know, men sometimes have weaker social networks or they have less intimate relationships with other men. So they become more dependent on their partner. But for women, even though sometimes they do have a lot of friends, they still feel that they are not complete if they don't have a partner, just because our culture tells us so. Yeah, I, I talk about that all the time because people ask me why there's still so much single shaming that women seem to experience to a greater degree than men. Again, not to make these global generalizations, but the women in my community do feel that people look at them a little differently if they've hit a certain age, whatever age that may be, depending on whatever culture you're in and community, where they don't feel that the men that they know who are single get that same kind of shaming. And I agree with you. And when they ask me, I say the exact same thing. We're still evaluated and assessed by society in a different manner. And men, it's more about their earning potential and what kind of car they drive and whether they're in the C-suite yet. And with women, it's still her most important value that she brings to this life is her relationship status, who she's with 
and then who she creates. And so women feel that pressure as well, which is something that a lot of the women in my community deal with as they are grappling with the biological clock. And they do desire to be mothers, but that hasn't happened yet. And not because of any infertility per se, but because social infertility, they haven't met their person yet. So that's a struggle as well. Wow, that's an interesting expression. I never heard that social infertility. That's fascinating. Yeah, it is an interesting way to conceptualize it. But it's. Uh, I think there's a couple other terms that also speak to that. But that's the one I've come across. And I thought that made sense to look at it that way. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast, and I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page, and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization. I cannot recommend Dr. Karen enough as your speaker at your event. As my keynote speaker, she completely set the tone of compassion, self-love, and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event. She was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience. Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May. Tim at loveandlifemedia.com. So another struggle on the scene is the online and the dating apps. And as we talked about a bit ago, how we can feel even more disposable. You talk about mindful swiping. How in the world is someone supposed to be (laughs) mindful when it seems like they're playing a video game on their phone? (laughs) I know, I know. It's so counterintuitive. Yeah. And, And yet I think there is a way to really bring mindfulness into whatever we do, including swiping. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I think that we shouldn't be swiping just like anytime, anywhere when we're feeling down or, or trying to get a little boost. Um, it's a little bit like social media, you know, it can be so beautiful and such a great way to keep in touch with people. And it can be a big hit to our mental health if we don't create good structures around it. Mm -hmm. So first, I think that we need to create more of a ritual around swiping, around using the apps, you know, to become very intentional about them and to maybe create a space in time and a space in our home where that's what we do. We're going to take 15 minutes a day to use the apps. And within that 15 minutes, we can light a candle, we can play a little music, maybe make some tea, make it, you know, so that our nervous system feels good, like not Mm. standing in line at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And then when we do come across people online, remember that they are a human being. 
just like we want them to remember that we are a complex and sensitive and valuable human being, we want to do that to others. It's a bit of a boomerang effect. You know, we want to be what we want to see in the world. And that usually attracts more of the same. So even when we're not attracted to someone, if we don't see ourselves wanting to speak to them and we do swipe left or we say no to them, to still be able to send them a good thought, mm-hmm. goodwill, instead of being in a state of frustration of like, ah, oh, another person I don't like, to be able to just say like, okay, I wish you the best. I send you loving kindness because we're all on this path together. We all want love. And to send people mm-hmm. love is such a great way to create more intentionality and more kindness in a space that doesn't have any normally. So that, and then number three, just to, again, being able to have a bit of a distance between us and the outcome. I'm not going to say like we have to be completely detached from the outcome because that's not realistic. Of course, Mm -hmm. we are going to want a certain outcome, but to be able to relate to our emotions and our thoughts from a certain distance and a certain compassion and not just being super attached. Yeah, I think that attachment, that's a struggle. I think it is. Yeah, because I think even when I was talking about earlier, when I recognized I needed to bring a little bit more positive, lighthearted energy to the dating process, I still deeply wanted to meet my person. So I was still disappointed at the end of the night if there wasn't a connection. Either way, if I sensed that uh, he's not into me or if I was like eh, pretty early on in the evening realizing this is not going to be going anywhere, there's still mm-hmm. a disappointment there. What you're speaking to, honoring the process, being present in the process and not always outcome-driven with other parts of my life now as a happily married person with my tennis game, for example, because I've taken tennis lessons for a long time and I'm not as good as I should be. (laughs) So my coach is very kind and encouraging and he always reminds me it's the process, your process goals, not outcome goals. But at the same time, I'm still attached to the idea that I should be increasing my skill level. And so I think it's just part of life that we, or at least part of Western living where we We are pretty goal-driven and oriented, and it's hard to let go of that and fully rest into just being okay with the process. So again, this is something that I think generalizes to other domains as well. Right. And as you know, as a business owner, I think that's another area of life where we can get very attached to an outcome. And yet sometimes the universe has goals for us and projects and things in store that we can't plan for and can't control. So I think it's so interesting interesting for me to be um, creating a practice around dating coaching and just my own relationship with my business and my attachment to outcomes and sometimes my fear of rejection and my fear of failure really mirrors what my clients go through in their dating process. Yeah, that's a really interesting parallel there I hadn't thought about. Mm -hmm. But you're right. And just, of course, your outcome, 
you might think, well, I'm just trying to help people. So of course I want to increase my reach and help Mm -hmm. more people, right? (laughs) So it's this very pure desire, yet it's still outcome focused, isn't it? Right, right. And the only remedy, the only antidote that I found for that in, in any of those categories is to go back to the soul level awareness, to go mm-hmm. back to my deeper sense of meaning of like, okay, what do I actually want to create in the world? Who do I want to become? Even if I don't make a certain amount of money or even if I don't get the relationship that I think I should want, can I look at myself at the end of the day and say like, yes, I am growing and I'm becoming a person that I want to be? Yeah, it's it's really interesting working with the women I work with and I'm sure the clients you work with where there can be a lot of resistance and I get it, especially, like I said, if they really struggle with valuing their lives If they don't achieve, again, the goal of the marriage, the partnership, the goal of the motherhood, it can be a big challenge to look at their life and give it value if they don't have what they so deeply want. And it's that attachment to those things. And it takes, I think, some what we call an act, acceptance and commitment therapy, psychological flexibility to be more flexible with our assessment of ourselves and and our self-worth in and of ourselves without attaching it to those relationships. And I I sigh when I say that because I know how hard that is because like you said, whether it's from a societal standpoint, also I think we're wired up, most of us, to desire deep intimacy. And when we don't have that, So many of my women, they'd say, well, you know, I've spent a lot of years of my adult life single. I've learned, I've grown, I've I've learned all the lessons I'm supposed to learn as a single person. Mm -hmm. Now I'm ready to have that partnership and even feel like maybe they've endured more of their fair share of hard knocks in the realm of love. So I think there's, it's very deep and you keep bringing up the word curious and trying to be curious about your own experience in the midst of what you're feeling and what you're thinking and how you're evaluating your circumstances. I think it's a great way to look at it. And I I also honor the difficulty therein. Right. And, you know, I think that for some people, their desire to be partnered is very, very deep. I would say a chosen value. That's something that Mm -hmm. is heartfelt, that is super authentic. And for other people, it's more of an external pressure that Mm -hmm. maybe their family is giving them like, hey, when are you going to get married? And it's hard to disentangle the two sometimes. Yes. And I would say that if it's more about the external pressure, then there is more room to be detached and to let go of those external voices. And when it's more of an internal desire for partnership, then I think that enrolling a therapist or a coach can be really helpful to help um, really look at what blocks or obstacle might I be creating? Why is it not happening? Why am I going on all these dates and things are not panning out? Um, Because sometimes it's hard to 
see ourselves objectively and clearly and we need somebody else's gaze to to let us know like oh here is something that i'm doing and i'm just not aware of that is preventing me from reaching that really genuine heart-centered goal for sure and i'm glad you brought up values because that's such a core part of getting back to what you spoke to earlier what dating can do being in relationships and experiences especially the ones that don't work out, really can be a process of value clarification. You can look back at your exes and go, yeah, the reason we didn't work out is because we, maybe it wasn't obvious in the beginning, but we did hold different values. I had a friend once tell me when I was still single and she was happily married, she said, you know, Karen, so much of of marriage and being happy in marriage is just wanting to do life in a similar way. Just mm-hmm. having that similar lifestyle approach, which is a kind of a colloquial way of saying holding and possessing the same values. And of course, mm-hmm. there's tons of research and psych about values in partnership and marriages do tend to thrive and feel easier to the couple and feel more successful and happy and satisfying when the couple shares more values. We even talk about in marital therapy that the similarities are money in the bank. People may be drawn to someone who seems exotic and other and different, but when it comes down to a lifelong partnership, if that's one's goal, they tend to be happier if they align with someone or partner rather with someone whose values align with theirs. It's just money in the bank. It's stuff you don't need to fight about because you just, Mm. it's common ground that you don't even think about because Mm -hmm. you, because our default mode, of course, as humans is to assume that other people value and think and experience the world the way we do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It takes a little bit of effort to go, wait a minute, from their perspective, maybe they don't. And so when you're doing life together in partnership, it's a lot easier if you do have a bit of that default mode that serves you because fewer things to get into confrontation and and conflict about. Absolutely. And I think sometimes it can get confusing because we're trained to think that attraction equals relationship potential. Right. And it's not always the case. You know, we, we might be very attracted to someone who's vastly different than us and it can be a beautiful connection and it can be deep and meaningful, but is that necessarily a potential for a you know, decades-long relationship with children and cohabitation involved? Maybe not. You know, there are so many relationship styles that are available to us. And, and yeah, attraction is only one factor that determines compatibility for those longer-term relationships. And some experts in the field will suggest that if the attraction is too intense, it may be something not so healthy within us that we are seeking out and feeling this very visceral attraction. Although I never want to go down that road too much because I also hear the other side, which is a lot of women in my community going, I'm so tired and maybe I'm waiting for some sort of romantic connection that doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) Maybe Mm -hmm. I should just give it up. And I think, well, no, you're not going to just partner up with your friend. I mean, (laughs) there's supposed to be something different about your romantic relationship than your friends. So, Mm -hmm. Right. It's such a fascinating topic. Um, And I know that you interviewed Ken Page before who wrote Mm -hmm. Deeper Dating. And I love his framework around that, the attractions of deprivation versus attractions of inspiration. 
Yeah. And to be able to differentiate within ourselves, you know, like when we do feel attracted to someone, like where is that attraction coming from? Is it the kind of attraction that's a little bit toxic, addictive, and is rooted in a painful, a wounded part of ourselves? Or is it the kind of attraction that we just feel is healthy for us and makes us better and brings up the best in us? And it's a process to develop that kind of awareness. Yeah, I was actually thinking of Ken's work when I was speaking to that, but I wasn't sure if you had come across this book. It's a great one. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Deeper Dating is a really wonderful resource for people in the dating scene, for sure. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events, and it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free Empowered Dating Playbook. So Marie, what else do you want to share with the listeners or do you want to let them know about any workshops or any events you have coming up and how they can connect with you? Uh, leave them with a couple words of, of wisdom and encouragement. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I know that, you know, some of our conversation was perhaps a little bit heavy. You know, we talked a lot about pain and about, you know, handling rejection and just dealing with our own thoughts and emotions. And it can sound and feel like hard work. And, you know, it is work for sure, but it is such a liberating process. When we really commit to it, we just gain access to so many parts of ourselves that we didn't know were there. So it's literally an emancipatory process. So I just want to leave people on that note of of hope and joy Mm -hmm. and just, you know, like reminding ourselves that all of this internal work that we're doing you know, just will and always does yield so many rewards. It's not for nothing. And in closing, I want to also say that I am always happy to have a 30-minute intro session with anyone who is interested in dating coaching or just wants to have a chat with me. So people are welcome to contact me and, and schedule one of those. I'm always so happy to meet new people. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. That's a a wonderful resource to offer my community. I appreciate that. And then on social media or your website, let them know where they can connect with you further. So my website is loveinsight-dating.com. And there you can read a little bit more about me and schedule your 30-minute intro session. And on social media, you can find me on Instagram. It's love underscore insight underscore dating and Facebook at Love Insight Dating. Great. Thank you so much, Marie. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been so great to chat with you. I love your work. Oh, thank you. The love and life hack for this week is practice mindfulness. There's definitely plenty of research to support that integrating a mindfulness practice into our daily lives and our cognitive functioning is incredibly beneficial for us in a variety of realms. 
As always, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that this conversation has helped you consider mindfulness as something to practice not only in your daily life, but certainly in your approach to dating. For more science-based dating support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com to grab your free empowered dating playbook. You'll then be added to my newsletter so we can stay better connected. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson April. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson April.